Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Students probably know Dr. David P. Peterson from the physical education class they took freshman year, or maybe they've seen him in the gym practicing powerlifting upward of 600 pounds. But what many students do not know is the vast experience he brings to the classroom from his service in the United States Navy. Listen to hear Pete share his story on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Thank you, Sarah. Welcome back to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, and I trust you've enjoyed this season's podcast as much as our team has enjoyed bringing them to you. Today's program features Dr. Pete Peterson, assistant professor of kinesiology and a 20-year veteran with active duty with the United States Navy. He retired from the Navy as an aerospace operational physiologist. Dr. Peterson holds multiple degrees in exercise science, a master's degree from the University of Louisiana, Monroe, and a bachelor's degree from Truman State University in Missouri. His doctoral degree is in sport management from the United States Sports Academy in Daphne, Alabama. In addition to being highly educated, Dr. Peterson is a former powerlifter, which came in handy as he developed a new weightlifting barbell that promotes shoulder safety. And we will talk at length about this new innovation and more today on the podcast. But for now, let me welcome Dr. Pete Peterson to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Welcome, Pete. It's great to have you in studio. Thank you, sir. Pleasure to be here. So before I get to our conversation about your barbells and other aspects that you've worked on, including the five-in-one workout product, let me just really thank you for your faithful 20-year service to the country. As you mentioned, and I've learned from your background, you were at the Naval Academy at one point uh, for several years, I believe. What, what were your roles or what was your role at the Naval Academy? Sure. So it was actually my twilight tour. I actually finished my 20 years at the Naval Academy, my last four, in fact. I was initially brought there to serve as the director of the Human Performance Lab, my job there was to help midshipmen that really struggle with the PRT, which stands for the Physical Readiness Test. Okay. They have to be able to pass a mile-and-a-half run, push-ups, and sit-ups. And if they're not able to pass that, uh, then they don't graduate. And as a matter of fact, if they get three or more failures, they're up for what's called administrative separation. And if it happens in their first two years, they're just cut. But if it's happened in their second two years... When they're separated, they actually owe a recoupment. In some cases, that could be up to $280,000 that the midshipmen would have to pay back. And at the end, they don't have it agreed to show for it, nor are they allowed to enter into military service, or at least not as an officer. So my biggest role and my biggest job was to help those midshipmen that were struggling with the PRT. So I ran remedial PT at 530 every morning. That was me getting up at 3.30 so I could be there at 4.30 and set up and ready to go and trying to help those mids pass either the run, the body fat, uh, the push-ups, or the sit-ups. And then after a year, the deputy director of the physical education department left. She was active duty as well. Okay. And my boss, who was Dr. Tom Virgitz at the time, my call sign was Meet. He said, Meet, I, I want to make sure that we get a good you know, deputy director in to replace Rosie. That was her call sign. And I said, well, boss, I tell you what, I'd be interested in maybe stepping up to replace Rosie. And then I've got another guy, his name was Lieutenant Commander Austin Latour, that he could come in and do my job as the director of the Human Performance Lab. Sure. So to answer your question, the first year I was the director of the Human Performance Lab. Then my last three years, I was the deputy director of the physical education department. 
at the Naval Academy. And the whole time, in addition to the responsibilities with the midshipmen and the PRT, I was teaching courses okay. in the physical education department. Very, one of the classes, in fact, was very similar to what we teach here with the physical activity and healthy living course. Right. We called it personal conditioning right. at the Naval Academy. So I designed the curriculum for that course. I wrote a textbook uh, for that course that eventually got published. And I kind of used some of the work that I did at the Naval Academy in developing the textbook that we now use for the physical activity and healthy living class here at Cedarville. So what did the midshipmen have to do to be successful or to complete? So like in the running, did they have to run the mile and a half in a certain time? Yes. How many sit-ups, how many push-ups? What, what, what did that look like for, for those guys? It's been almost five years. So I don't necessarily remember the number of sit-ups and push-ups that they had to perform to pass. But I do remember that the males had to run a mile and a half in 1030, and the females had to run a mile and a half in 1240. Wow. And if they weren't able to do that, then they were put on remedial. And there were different standards for the push-ups for males and females, sure. but the sit-ups was the same across the board. And again, I don't remember what that line in the sand, that minimum number was. But I will say most of the midshipmen that came to see me for the remedial wasn't because of the push-ups and the sit-ups. It was because of the mile-and-a-half run or the body composition. Okay. Did you ever in your time see midshipmen fail and have to leave the Naval Academy? More than once. Oh. Yeah, more than once. That, that had to be difficult to see because you guys want those midshipmen to be successful and, and pass. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, your taxpayer dollars have been invested in those kids. So, you know, they're coming there to go to school and we've spent a lot of money to get them there and to keep them there and right. eventually send them home. It's uh, painful for all. One of my jobs... Two, I didn't mention this. There was a lot of aspects that I did at the Naval Academy, but uh, when a midshipman failed two or three or more times, yeah. they were sent to this administrative separation board, and right across the table at this board is the three-star admiral, the superintendent of the Naval Academy, and they had to you know, plead their case in front of him, and then he would ultimately decide whether or not they were retained or separated. And I was a subject matter witness at those PE admin set boards and the superintendent looked at me more than one time you know commander Peterson meet you know please tell me that the progress of this midshipman at remedials do you see him being able to pass you know by the time graduation and there were times that I was an advocate for the midshipman and there were other times where I had to be honest and say you know I, I honestly based off the progress they've made and however long I've seen I, I don't see them being able to yeah you know, past the PRT. And in, in some cases, my testimony ended in them being retained. And in other cases, it contributed to them being separated. So yeah. it, it was never a fun experience, no. I'll be honest, but it, it was necessary. We're trying to prepare the next generation of warfighter. Yeah. You know, and if you can't do a simple mile and a half run or X number of push-ups and sit-ups, you may not be, you know, well prepared right. and qualified to be on the battlefield. Because it has national defense implications. Absolutely. Yeah. In talking with your wife, Kim, in preparation for today's podcast, I understand that during your time in New Orleans, so you were stationed in New Orleans uh, for a while, I believe it was probably for three years, that if you added up the total amount of time that you, li you personally lived in New Orleans, in terms of all the travel that you did, you probably only lived in New Orleans one of the three years. Is that correct? 
I think it's actually, uh, I was gone for a year and I probably would have been there only two of the three years, but it is correct that I lived out of a suitcase a lot. So, uh, the fourth Maw, which was the fourth Marine aircraft wing, which is based out of new Orleans is the reserve component for the aviation portion of the Marine Corps. And so they have literally, you know, assets all over the, the country, both East Coast, West Coast, yeah. and Central U.S. And they didn't really have what's called an aeromedical safety officer, which most of the active duty components did. So as the reserve AMSO for 4th Maw, I was the guy going to these different commands and providing essential combat training like you know how to use night vision goggles how to use different types of survival radios if a chemical biological warfare wow. device that if the individuals were going into a zone where that was a threat and they were issued this gear i was the guy that taught them you know how to wear and utilize you know that ensemble so i was gone a lot and i also served even though i was with stationed with the marines i also did a lot of that training for the Reserve Navy components as well. So I would periodically travel and go and support them. I got to see, I think, 13 different countries between when I was at MAG-36 and when I was at 4th Maw. MAG-36 was in Okinawa. That was a duty station that I did before I was at 4th Maw. Okay. But again, another tour that I did with the Marines. And then the three years with the Marines at 4th Maw. I think I added it up one time and I got the ability and opportunity to go to 13 different countries in support of our warfighters. Did you realize at the time um, that you were really providing a very important and valuable service to our country by going to all these places and, and working with all the military people? Did you understand the gravity of your work? I did. Uh, and I, this was a really unique and powerful opportunity but again, a very sober one as well. One of the things, and I kind of mentioned and alluded to this before, as an air medical safety officer for the Navy, our goal is to train the aviator to be ready for in-theater operations. So I would fly out to an aircraft carrier as the, there's the ship company, those that are attached to the ship. When the air wing comes aboard a carrier, the the number of personnel aboard the ship almost doubles, right? So when the carrier is not underway, it has X number of sailors assigned. Yeah. But when they go underway and they bring the aviation commands with them, the numbers, like I said, almost double. So whenever the aviation component starts to attach to the carrier, that's when I would go out and I would teach you know, the aviators on the survival radio that they're going to use. Because it would have secret frequencies, and mm-hmm. so the survival radio they would use if they had to eject or if the plane went down, you know, in theater and under non-combat conditions was the PRC-90. And that one didn't have secret frequencies embedded. So they were well familiar with that radio. But when they went in theater, they would use a different radio that had different frequency options. And that was the PRC-112 or the C-cell radio. So I would go out and I would teach those aviators how to use this new survival radio. Yeah. And your question was, did I understand the significance? Well, one of the, it was the USS Truman. I went out there and one of the Marine squadrons I had to do the survival radio training for. And the guy that they had me in touch with to provide that training for their squadron, his call sign was Pudge. He would eventually get hypoxic and fly his airplane into the jet. 
And I would go back out about four months after I initially went, and we did what's called an AMB, an aircraft mishap board. And I actually stayed in his stateroom and actually slept in his bed, which was a little uh, ominous, right? But I remember going there, working with Pudge, setting up the survival radio training, only to unexpectedly go back about three to four months later due to his fatality. He got uh, airsick, took his mask off at altitude. We thought that maybe his cabin wasn't pressurized like it should have been. Maybe one of the switches for cabin pressurization was in the off switch. He ended up getting hypoxic, passing out, and flying his jet Mm. into the water. Mm. And I had to go back and conduct the A and B as a result of that. Oh, tragic. And still very... A very moving situation even today, um, no question. As I think about all the travel that you did, you know, perhaps I should have Kim on the program and ask her what it was like to be at home while you traveled. But oh, she had the harder job for sure. Well, you both did, but I, I won't. I won't ask her to come. But knowing that Cedarville is located near a military town, we're twenty minutes from Wright Patterson Air Force Base. How can military personnel, from your experience as one who traveled a lot, help personnel? Or how can personnel live what is maybe a normal life as a balance from their military career to just being a father, a husband? How, how can you balance all that and still do both well? Is that, is that difficult? It is. Uh, you just have to do well in the small moments that you have. You know, I... I always liked studying the life of David, you know, and there were certain aspects that we found that he did really well, and there were other aspects that he didn't. It's really hard for all of us to be well on all of the different fronts. At at time, he was a phenomenal king, but we also learned that at times he was not the best father, and we saw that with Absalom, right, and uh, and, uh, Anon, I believe, was the other son's name that you know, and the drama that, you know, took place there. Right. So it's it's hard to be proficient in all of the different aspects that we have. You know, we're, we're a father, we're a son, we're a brother, we're, we're a husband, we're a, a military commander, we're a university professor. So I, I just, and, and we could ask anybody, how do they do that, right? Uh, it's, you just do the best you can in the moment, you know, yeah. and at, at the time, you when you're in the classroom with your students, you try to be the best professor that you can to them. And then when you're home with your kids, you try to be the best father. It's hard to be the best father when you're in a classroom with your students, right? right? And it's hard to be the best professor when you're home, you know, dealing with right. your kids. So I don't know if that's good advice or bad advice, but God gives us little moments, right? And he and gave you moments. He gave me moments. Yeah. So, do you miss your time in the military? I do. It was, I could have stayed on. So I could have been on active duty at least eight more years, 10 more years if I promoted uh, to captain. But I think 20 was enough. I, there was an opportunity for me to go to West Point next and oh, really? work in their physical education department. And had I got those orders, I probably would have. But my detailer, who is kind of uh, the individual in the Navy that kind of assigns orders and tell you where you're going to go next. Uh, the 
orders that they were going to give me, put me more in an administrative role, more of behind the desk, you know, pushing papers. Not that that's not important. It is, but it's just not well suited for my interest and my skill set. So I would have stayed on active duty if I would have got the opportunity to go to West Point after the Naval Academy. But uh, being that that wasn't really in the cards, yeah, we decided to retire. Time to leave. Pete, I really appreciate the candid thoughts that you've shared. I know just sitting here with you, it's, it brings back tough memories. And uh, so I want to thank you for being very candid. I want to shift the focus a little bit now. And and uh, so you, you worked 20 years with the Navy. Now you're a professor at Cedarville University teaching kinesiology. How does teaching at Cedarville compare to your teaching and working at the United States Naval Academy? It's funny you should ask whenever I was being interviewed by the Board of Trustees. Here at here, Cedarville. Here at Cedarville. They said, hey, it is our understanding that you taught a class like Paul or PACL, you know, physical activity in Christian living or physical activity in healthy living as it's referred to now, similar to the personal conditioning class that you taught at the Naval Academy. However, there's pretty big differences between <laughs> the students we have here at Cedarville, right, yeah. and the students that you were used to working with at the Naval Academy. And I said true, but, you know, in terms of being a good steward with your body, it, it really, there isn't that much difference. It's you know, the same. The, the, the intensity, the duration, and the frequency that's required for our midshipmen is probably greater and a higher intensity than here. But, you know, how will you improve the body for strength and what you can do to improve the body for cardiovascular endurance or mobility and flexibility really is the same. And I think it's important regardless if you're a student here at Cedarville or if you're a midshipman at the Naval Academy that you steward your body well. Yeah, well said. So part of the way that I understand you steward your body or you have is through powerlifting and weightlifting. Uh, I, I've been told that you enjoy weightlifting and powerlifting. Um, for someone who hasn't lifted a lot of weights, um, I don't know if I understand that, but it, it would be good for me to actually get involved in some weightlifting. It's, it's, it's good for the body long-term, especially as I get older in life. Yes. So do you lift weights as a hobby or have you competed in powerlifting competitions or What's your intensity in the powerlifting, weightlifting realm? So I used to be a competitive powerlifter. Now, I'll be honest, I pale into comparison to like Dr. Trent Rogers, right? He also used to be a competitive really? powerlifter, and he actually had a world record on the bench press. Uh, I have never come anywhere close to setting. I've won a couple state meets, and I've qualified for nationals. I've never competed in nationals, nor have I competed at worlds. I was never that good. But I think God gives each of us, you know, interests and passions. And for one that has been instilled with me uh, for literally decades is the love of weight training. I can remember being in probably the sixth or seventh grade and getting a weight set for Christmas. And there's those old concrete weights that remember that would snap together right, you know right. and they were really big and bulky but at the same time they really didn't weigh that much so the bar looked impressive but you know <laughs> it probably didn't even weigh triple digits but once I picked that barbell up I literally have never put it down 
It's something that I enjoyed. It's something that uh, I've seen a lot of improvement. You know, as a, a shorter guy, I'm five foot six. We didn't offer wrestling in my high school. There wasn't, and I tried baseball and I was terrible at it. You know, yeah. I was caught, I was one of the kids always picking dandelions out <laughs> in the right field or so. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of sports that I was good at, but I was okay. I was decent yeah. at weight training. And that's kind of where I found my niche. That's where I found my passion. And the more that I did it, the better that I got. And I, you know, instead of maybe getting fourth or fifth in meets, I started slowly getting, you know, maybe second or third and eventually even a first from time to time. So I haven't really competed in powerlifting probably since graduate school, but I've always continued to do so. And the more that I learn about how the body responds, I still continue to try to train heavy. Now, heavy at 50, right, is a lot different than what heavy at 25 was. But there's certain physiological benefits that you get yeah. from yeah. cardiovascular training that you don't get from strength training and vice versa. Yeah. Well, there's also benefits that you get from lifting heavy that you don't get, yeah. you know, from light weights, high reps. Yeah. So what is heavy uh, weightlifting at 25 for you compared to heavy at 50? I'm curious. Well, and it's not bragging because I can't do it anymore. But at my prime, I could squat over six, bench over four, deadlift over five. And you say six and four and five, that's 100. Yes. Yes. Now, I can still bench over three and squat over four and deadlift over five, but those are definitely pale into comparison, you know, what I was able to do a couple decades ago. Yeah, I can probably, I can probably sleep at 170. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're seeing people... Uh, weight lift, uh, what are some mistakes you see people commonly doing that you try to correct or you suggest that maybe they correct? Well, there's uh, actually several of those. Number one, I see people that uh, like to use maybe body weight exercises or maybe just certain machines and not others or resistance bands. So one of the first common mistakes that I see is individuals not taking advantage of some of the more barbell lifts that allow for axial loading, which actually helps to improve bone density. So we could be doing certain exercises that could actually help improve body composition or maybe even improve strength, but really not stress the bones enough to have an impact on bone density. So there's really a, a window of about 18 to 25 that we have where we can really start to develop and establish bone density. And then outside of that window, that window starts to close. So what I like to tell my, my Paul or my Packle students that you guys are right in that window right now to where you can really start to develop and establish and through good, yeah. you know, sound regimens moving forward, maintain that bone density where there's a lot of individuals that I work with that are, you know, maybe in their 30s, 40s, or 50s, or 60s, where they're already outside that window. And maybe we can prevent further bone loss from occurring. We can't yeah. go back and really build new because yeah. that window is already closed. So the first mistake that I see is probably individuals not, you know, using the right type of exercises to help with, you know, bone density and other, you know, critical aspects that strength training can provide. And then technique is huge. I kind of cringe walking in the free weight area, seeing some of the students with their deadlifts and using rounded back uh, or, you know, not using proper breathing and bracing technique when using some of the heavier compound lifts. So it really depends on the exercise in terms of, you know, what 
uh, somebody may be doing right or wrong. But I guess some of the key takeaways is there is a right way to breathe and brace. It is important that we keep the spine in a neutral position whenever we lift, you know, yeah. uh, certain exercises. And we want to perform certain exercises because if we don't, we can get some benefits to strength training, but not all of them. Uh, last year, Alex Besh, who is a public relations writer here at Cedarville University, he wrote a story about a new barbell that you created um, based on your students' research that promotes shoulder safety. Why did you create this barbell, and how does it help people build their physical strength? Good question. Um, I was actually at the time serving as the strength coach for the volleyball team here at Cedarville. And a couple of the girls on the team had some shoulder-related injuries, you know, especially like our inside and outside hitters, hitters. Yep. that uh, traditional bench press just put their shoulder in a impinged position that made that exercise either painful or basically undoable for them. But we found that if we grab the barbell, a straight barbell, it actually causes the the upper arm, the humerus, to be in a certain position that actually kind of encourages or allows for shoulder impingement. However, if we didn't use a barbell and we used a dumbbell instead, most people would reposition the humerus right in relation to the spine. So instead of being more flared, it would be more tucked. And the hand position would also be more in line with the humerus vice, you know, forced in a straight position when using a barbell. So the intention of this new shoulder saver bench bar was to put the uh, the upper arms and the hands in a more shoulder-friendly position, like I'm getting ready to use a dumbbell, but I'm actually using a barbell instead. So instead of being forced in one position, it allows for a more natural position. Now, is that is that barbell a product that's on the market now? or Yes and no. Right now, there are three in existence. Okay. I, I initially had two made, one for my home gym, and then uh, we made one here for the university that students can access here and faculty and staff at Cedarville. So we, I actually identified a company out of New York called Black Widow Training Gear who mm-hmm. made both of my prototypes. They do plan on eventually adding it to their website, and you could actually, if you wanted to right now, email them and they could make you one. Okay. Uh, so it's not on their website currently. It, it's uh, supposed to be here in the relatively short uh, future. But if somebody wanted one and just couldn't wait for Christmas, yeah. right, uh, you could probably go ahead and place an order now. He's He's got the... He's ready to do, He's to ready them. to go. So you mentioned the five and one, and I want to move to that as we move toward the end of the program. And what's really exciting, I, I would say, is that when you showed the five and one to Matt Winning, he's a world record power lifter. He mentioned that if the product could be marketed, he would buy it. Tell me about this device and what are the exercises that the five and one will assist people in doing? Sure. So a quick little background story. The five and one came about is I had two low back trainers at the time and I was working with one of our faculty's wives here on uh, campus that had some low back issues and we were trying to find an exercise to help strengthen that. And neither of the low back devices that were commercially available that I had was she able to use. It was too hard to get into and even if she was able to get into it, it put her in a position to where it, it 
It was too hard for her to perform, and quite frankly, it would require her head to be below her body, which would put all the blood in the head, and she already struggled with blood pressure issues. So it wasn't recommended on several fronts. So I worked with Dan over in Cedarville Auto, and we made some adjustments. Okay. And I started using it with her, and it worked well. And then I started using it with my other athletes and students and clients, and they liked it as well. And it came to, hey, you might look at Dr. Luke C., as a matter of fact, said, hey, you might want to look at making this commercially available. So I went up to Matt Winning, who is, as you said, a world record power lifter, and I've had him come and speak, and we've gone to his gym up in Columbus in my strength and conditioning class, and I showed it to him. Now, he didn't say he would buy it. What he did say, he goes, uh, Pete, this is a neat product. The problem is I don't see it's going to be very marketable if it just does one exercise. Okay. If you're able to make this device do multiple exercises, then I think you're on to something. That's what he said. Okay. Uh, and so I went back to the drawing board based off the feedback that I got from Matt Winning. And in addition to the back extension, which it was originally developed for, now it can do the sissy squat. Now it can do the Nordic curl. It can do the hip thruster. And it can do it can hold your feet to where you could do sit-ups or an isometric sit-up. But the new version of the 5-in-1, the what I call the commander total body trainer now, instead of having the adjustment brackets for the hip thruster welded in one place, it's now adjustable and can be moved anywhere okay. along the device. And we also welded on a foot plate, and now it allows you to do a variety of upper body exercises using resistance bands as well. And I think at the last count in counting, by the way, I think you could do upwards of 23 to 25 different exercises, some better than others, arguably, right? right? But instead of just being a five-in-one lower body trainer, you know, now it's the commander, because that was my terminal rank in the Navy, right? It's the total body trainer. And I've also been working with uh, Charles, the owner of X-Bar Fitness. He makes a bar with resistance bands that's meant for home gym use that actually integrates very well with the five in one or the commander total body trainer. And now you can do a, a number of other exercises that you weren't able to before. Do you envision this product being made available to consumers? And if so, when do you think it could be? That's the goal. Uh, I actually initially worked with Titan fitness and they made a prototype and we actually have that prototype here at Cedarville for students to use They did take some creative liberty with their design, and unfortunately, it kind of affected the functionality, so they decided not to move forward. The new design I have shown to several manufacturers like Solid Bar Fitness, Kabuki Strength, and then even Black Widow Training Gear, the same company that made my uh, Commander Bar, the Shoulder Saver Bench Bar, has also expressed interest in possibly making versions of you know, the lower body five in one commander, total body trainer, whatever you want to call it as well. So what, where I'm currently at right now, I'm working with Luke Fredette, Dr. Fredette in, in engineering. mechanical engineering and some of his students to design some CAD files okay. that can actually be used by some of these strength equipment manufacturers to where they could fabricate it on their end. So I've been working with a local fabricator here in town to make my prototype. Mm-hmm. And that's what you've seen in the picture. Yeah. And that's what I've been using right. with my students and stuff. But for this to be able to go that next step, right, we have to identify a strength equipment manufacturer, which several have expressed interest. And I've reached out to 
probably 20 or 30 of them. Yeah. And I think it's really neat that, uh, you know, being on a college campus, you have at your disposal a lot of uh, skill sets that can really help you with this product. You know, Dr. Luke Fordette is one. Um, once you get ready to market it, you could go through the school, the Robert W. Plaster School of Business, and the marketing team students could help you market it. So it's a, it's not just something that you're doing. It's a collaborative work that you're bringing the campus community. Do you see it that way? Oh, absolutely. From day one, I've tried to bring in as many people as I can because I'll be the first to admit I do have a skill set, but it's a small skill set. Uh, I can envision, you know, what the device needs to look like and how it needs to operate, but I don't have the skill set in which to build it. I don't have the skill set in which to design the CAD files necessary, you know, to send on for an equipment manufacturer. I don't have the skill set to market and distribute. So it's really been neat to be able to partner alongside with individuals that I probably would never rub shoulders with otherwise. You know, some of these professors and other departments that are past never cross that I've got to meet, interact with, as well as their students, you know, in, in this in this process. So for that, it's been really neat. Pete, I really thank you for um, spending time with, with me. I enjoyed hearing your stories and uh, seeing what you're doing, how you're impacting lives of students through your classes and through your projects. And uh, I just wish you the very best. And thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.